<coughs> excuse me. Well, we'll continue talking about prayer today. And if you'll turn to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 20 through 22, Mark 11, 20 through 22. We want to talk about prayer and faith this morning. <coughs> Mark 11, verses 20 through 22. And these are not very long verses, so let's read them out loud together, please. Starting in verse 20, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. We need to understand the importance of faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Faith is very important as a Christian. It's pretty much the, um, the underlying foundation of our daily lives and everything that we do and everything that we believe. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And what is not of faith is sin. Faith is the first requirement for coming to God. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they come to Him in faith, believing that He will save them. Everything God has promised, everything God has promised in an answer to prayer comes through the prayer of faith. If we don't have faith and we don't believe that he's going to answer our prayer or that he can answer our prayer, there's really no purpose in praying. We, if we don't believe that God's going to answer our prayer, why bother, basically? There's just no reason to pray if we don't have faith. So first of all, this morning, we look at the great importance of faith. And the first thing that I want you to see is you cannot please God without faith. We mentioned Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. You cannot come to God unless you believe that there is a God and that he will hear your prayer. Faith is the first requirement of anyone who would please God. Without faith, one cannot be saved. Without faith, one cannot pray acceptably. Without faith, one cannot live victoriously. And without faith, we cannot please God. You cannot please God without faith. Secondly, faith is plainly commanded as a duty for Christians. 
When Jesus, in our, in our text here, Jesus and the apostles are walking to Jerusalem from Bethany, and they pass this fig tree, and Jesus wants to take figs from it, and there are none, and he curses it, and they go on. And the next morning, they're coming back, and as they pass this fig tree, they notice that it has withered up from the roots. It's completely dead. It's not going to come back. The roots and everything are dead. And Peter, in apparent amazement, says to Jesus, well, this tree that you cursed is dead. And Jesus' simple response is, have faith in God. Have faith. That's all he says. A very simple, very plain command to have faith in God. He goes on after that then to talk about if you had the faith enough, you could say to a mountain, be moved into the sea and it would happen. This was Jesus speaking. He tells the disciples that if they have faith in God, that they could do anything and have anything that they asked. Have faith in God, but yet, as simple as that may sound, we struggle with it. Just as the disciples struggled with it, there, we, there were times we read that the disciples were able to heal people and, and cast out devils, and then there were times where they could not. And when they asked God, Jesus, why they couldn't, he told them they were of little faith. So they had enough faith that sometimes and other times they didn't. And I think we struggle in that same way. Amen. Sometimes we can exhibit great faith in God. And other times we struggle. Mm -hmm. Peter got out of a boat and walked on top of the water during a storm and started walking to Jesus. That took some great faith. And then what? He lost his faith and he started to sink. Peter struggled with it. We struggle with it. But faith is plainly commanded as a duty for Christians. We need to have faith in God. Thirdly, we see that unbelief is sin. If Pleasing God comes by faith, then a lack of faith must displease him. And if we're not pleasing God, then we're sinning. Jesus commanded, have faith in God. Lack of faith is disobedience. We need to have faith in God, Jesus said. Have faith in God. It was a command. A simple statement, have faith in God. Unbelief is a wicked decision of our will. If we choose not to believe the word of God and not to believe God, 
That's a choice that we make. Lost people choose not to believe in Christ. Hebrews 3.12 warns the Jews plainly to beware lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And this was not written to believers. It was written to unbelieving Jews. And a warning of the, un, the, the evil heart of unbelief. For Christians, unbelief is sin. Romans 14.23 says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Any element of our lives, any element of a, a Christian life that does not involve constant dependence on God, not on ourselves, not on those around us, but constantly depending on God to do a work in our lives. Constant belief in His Word and in His promises and reliance on His faithfulness is sin. Any element of our life that is not relying constantly on God and trusting his word and believing in his faithfulness is sin for a Christian. Hebrews 11 is known as the, uh, what we call the hall of faith. It lists a bunch of, of historical characters in the Bible and describes how they exhibited faith in their lives. That's followed up in verse 1 of chapter 12 when the Word of God tells Christians to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. We're commanded to be like the heroes of faith. The very first word of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 is wherefore. Because of what they just described of all the faith that these, these folks had, Christians are supposed to be like them. We're supposed to emulate them and have the same faith that they did. Several times Jesus rebuked the apostles for their unbelief. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Jesus says, How is it that ye have no faith? Luke 8, 25 says, Jesus says, Where is your faith? Mark 16, 14 says that Jesus upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. These are the apostles, the disciples. And Jesus upbraids them. He calls them out for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Luke 18, 8. Following the parable that Jesus told, and we've, we've mentioned this, the, the widow who goes to the judge to be avenged of her, of her adversaries, and the judge is not um, willing to help her, but she just, uh, as we talked about, importunity. She continues to plead with him, and he finally changes his mind. So in this lesson of importunity in Luke chapter 18, and in verse 8, Jesus asks... 
When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? It's almost as if he's wondering, will, will anybody have any faith when I come back? We should be eager to please God by expressing faith in our lives. We need to exercise faith in our lives. We talk about exercising faith, but have you thought of the word exercise and what it means? You know, picking up a weight in a gym. If you go to the gym, you know, those first three days in January. <laughs> I, uh, I, I missed going to the gym this week. That's the third year in a row. But, um, but you pick up those weights and you work with those weights and it builds up your strength. You get on the treadmill and maybe at first you're only to go, able to go uh, a certain amount of time on the treadmill. But as, as you build up your strength and you exercise, you're able to do more. And you build up, you strengthen your body by exercise. And we strengthen our faith by exercising our faith. And sometimes it might mean that we have to start off small. We start off perhaps because it's not easy to exhibit faith sometimes. In fact, I think I said it before several months ago, but if your faith doesn't frighten you, it's not faith. If you can take care of it on your own, you don't need any faith. Faith is going beyond your own ability. And that can be scary. There's a lot of things that God may ask us to do that make us pause and, and wonder, God, are you sure about that? That's when you have an opportunity to exercise your faith. And as we exercise that faith and we see God bless, we see God work, then the next time we need to exercise faith, it's a little bit easier. Instead of doing three push-ups, we can do five. And then the next time we might be able to do ten. And before you know it, you're, uh, you're like Brother Roy and you're doing a hundred a day. So. Or more. Or more. <laughs> but it's an exercise. It's working that. It's building it. It's, it's exhibiting faith and then having that faith build and get stronger as we go on. We need to exercise our faith to make it stronger. Fourthly, we see that with faith, nothing is impossible. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And I'll read verses 17 through 21. Matthew chapter 17, verses 17 through 21. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus saith unto them, Because of your unbelief. 
For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Verse 17, O faithless and perverse generation. Who was Jesus talking to? The disciples. Not the Pharisees. Not the Sadducees. The disciples. Faithless and perverse generation. But he goes on to say that if they have faith of a grain of mustard seed, they could say to this mountain, remove and be moved over here, and it would happen. There is literally nothing shall be impossible unto you. Was Jesus exaggerating when he said that? Was he lying? He cannot lie. He cannot exaggerate. Mark 9.23 says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Whatsoever things ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. These verses are unequivocal. Now, does that mean that uh, I should just speak to uh, uh, the mountain over here, the Huachuca Mountains, and tell them to, uh, to move over by the Santa Rita Mountains in Tucson? Not unless I believe that's God's will. And I don't see right now that that's God's will. But it is very clear that if you believe God, if we believe God, we can have anything that we ask. With faith, nothing on earth or in heaven is impossible or unattainable. But there is a caveat to this. And every time you read these verses, there's caveats. One must have faith about each thing to get it. Faith for salvation is not faith for healing. Faith for healing will not get you a job. We need to have faith for that particular thing each time God speaks to us. We need to show faith for that thing. Faith for one prayer is not going to get another prayer answered. Just because you exhibit prayer one time doesn't count for the rest of your life. We need to constantly be exhibiting and exercising our faith. And here's what I want you to, if you get nothing else out of this message, because again, I've, like I've said before, 
God is not a vending machine. I'm not teaching a name it and claim it gospel. I'm not talking about, I'm speaking this into happening. But we must be so in harmony with God that we can base each request on a promise in God's word or the fact that we know beyond a doubt that that is his will. When one of those two things exists, if you can find a promise in the word of God that says, I will do this, or you should do this, then you can claim that promise because God cannot lie. And he will fulfill all of his promises. The other is when we come to praying in the will of God and understanding what the will of God is. And if you can come to the point in your personal life where you know beyond any doubt that what you are praying for is the will of God, he will answer. He's promised, and he cannot break his promise, to answer our prayers if we are praying in his will and according to his will. And then, and only then, can we have anything that we ask. Because we're not going to be asking amiss. We're not going to be asking to consume it upon our own lusts. We're going to be asking based on his promises and his will. Faith is not a device by which we obtain our own will. But the will of God. Faith is a gift by which in a particular matter, in a specific situation, we can ask for things in the will of God and having divine confidence, we can receive whatever we ask because we're asking according to God's will. This type of faith is not easy. It takes time to develop. It takes time to exercise, to build up, to strengthen. Just like a baby when they're learning to walk. And they're able now to stand, but they hold on to things, and they may start taking little steps, but they're holding on to something, and they're a little wobbly, and they fall. But after a while, they begin to be able to take a step or two without holding on to anything. And before you know it, they're walking all over the house and getting into everything. We spend the first two years of their lives teaching them to walk and talk and the next 16 years telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> but they're finally walking. If a normal, healthy five-year-old is not able to walk, they're otherwise normal, healthy, everything is fine, but they have not learned to walk, something's wrong. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith. If we are a normal, healthy Christian, we should be able to walk by faith. 
If we cannot, we need to examine what's wrong in our hearts and in our lives and why we don't have that faith. If we want to have a powerful prayer life, we must be, first of all, surrendered to God all day, every day. If you want to have a powerful prayer life, secondly, you must be confessing and forsaking sin. Not having any pleasure in sin. Not letting sin dwell in us. If we want to have a powerful prayer life, we must delight in God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We cannot have faith without the, being in the Word of God, knowing the Word of God and understanding the Word of God. And if you want to have a powerful prayer life, you must be actively seeking God's will, actively seeking God's will in your life and what He wants you to do and understanding the mind of God. This comes from a, a closeness, a fellowship with God that I, I know for, for years in my own life I didn't have. At times I did, like we talked about. Sometimes I had great faith and other times I didn't. But we need to have a closeness and a oneness with God that under, we understand the mind of God and that's when we can pray for God's will and see our prayers answered. This Bible is God's mind about everything. Every promise from God for you and I is right here in this Bible. Everything God wants you to know is contained in this Bible. If we are going to pray according to God's will, we must, must be in his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need to know right here in the word that you've preserved for us. Lord, help us to delight in your word, to seek your will, and to seek a closeness with you that we've never had before in our lives, that we might be able to glorify you and magnify you and praise you in everything that we say and do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.